let's dig in. We're going to be reading about Zacchaeus today out of Luke. It's going to be Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. Luke 19, 1 through 10. This is your upfront warning. There is so much scripture in this, and I feel like that's a good thing. I feel like that's a good thing. There's going to be a lot of scripture reading and a little less of me teaching or talking than normal. So you don't have to flip, but if you want to, like if you in your Bible app or in your notes or however you however you follow along, if you want to turn to the story of Zacchaeus in Luke 19 and then maybe just jot these, these verses down for reference later, I think that would be super helpful. All right. Luke 19, 1 through 10. He, this is Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, the crowd, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. So first and foremost, you need to know that Luke is a pretty good writer, like, like a pretty good author. He uses a literary device, and I'm not trying to pretend like we're back in high school, but this is so important to understand what we're getting ready to jump into. He uses a literary device called contrast. It's where you take two polar opposites and you push them together and you, you make your point with that. So you'll see this in art. An artist will use contrast. And the whole purpose of contrast on a canvas is to draw your eyes to a particular part of the canvas. It's to make it stand out. And the medical field, they, they do this also. They'll put contrast in your body so that when the medical professionals are looking at, I think it's MRI, I'm really bad with science. When they're looking at the MRI or whatever it is, the dye that's been in your body contrast, and they can see what they need to see clearly. And it's pretty much the same in literature. So Luke is going to do this, and he's not just going to do it in chapter 19. He's really doing it throughout the whole gospel. But it's super important that we understand um, how this works to understand what's going on under the surface here. So I'm going to give a couple quick examples. There are tons. Luke isn't the only person, the only scripture or author of scripture who does this. It's all over the place. So for instance, there's a baby and there are two women and they're both claiming that this one baby is theirs. And King Solomon's like, well, that can't be possible, but it's his job to figure out who on earth's baby is this. So he says, let's cut the baby in half. And the women's responses are polar opposite. And that's where we find out who the real mother is. One cries no, and the other cries yes. That's contrast. Another example of this would be um, in Proverbs. Oh, I feel like this is going to fall. You warned me. I did. I like host it, and it's still, sorry, tilty. Anyways, in Proverbs, um, wisdom is talked about as two women, wisdom and folly. 
They're exact opposites. Their motives are opposite. Their actions are opposite. Thank you, Josh. Thank you. Perfect. All right. We on the same page? Contrast. Super important we get that. All right. So when we meet Jesus in Luke 19... He's just left the region of Samaria, is actually in between Samaria and Galilee, and he's making his way towards Jerusalem. And this is his final journey towards to Jerusalem. He's actually going to be crucified four chapters after what we're reading. So he's making these pit stops. And what he's doing along the way is he's spreading the good news. He's healing the sick. He's seeking and saving the lost. So we meet him in Jericho. He makes this pit stop. And I think it's important that we stop and we look at Jericho. If you remember, it's the first city the Israelites took as part of the promised land. So it's an Old Testament story. The Israelites are freed from Egypt and slavery in the wilderness with Moses. Moses dies. Joshua takes over. And the first place he goes to is Jericho. And God's like, hey, the Canaanites are living here. Generation after generation, they've disobeyed me. Generation after generation of child sacrifice, just all kinds of strange sexual practices, defiance against God. And God's like, okay, I'm going to take this land and I'm going to give it to the Israelites. And they're like, yeah, this is awesome. This is the place where Joshua leads them to march around the wall seven times. They blow the ram's horn and yell and the walls just crumble down. That's Jericho. This is what scripture says about it. Joshua 24, 13. This is God speaking to Israel. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil and cities you did not build and you live in them and you eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. And all the Israelites were like, yeah, bro, amen. This is great. Because to be a recipient of that kind of favor, that feels good. Here's the irony and the contrast I think we need to see when Jesus meets Zacchaeus in Jericho. He's a wealthy tax collector. Scripture says he's a rich man. And he's acquired his wealth by taking it from owners of vineyards he didn't plant or work. Soil he never toiled in. These people are out working and now it's time to pay taxes. And Zacchaeus doesn't just take the tax, he skims some more off the top. That's how he's become wealthy. He's built his wealth off the backs of others. This is contrast number one. Now, wait a minute. Why is it not okay for Zacchaeus to become wealthy using the same principle that God gave the Israelites Jericho? Why isn't that fair? I'll tell you why. It's a really good question, guys. You're good students. It's because Zacchaeus is not righteous. Zacchaeus' ways are not higher God is righteous in his judgment. God is not self-serving in his judgment. Zacchaeus is self-serving in his decision to take from his Jewish brothers and sisters. It's a contrast number one in the city. Very first thing we're told. All right, back to our little friend. I think it's interesting to note that his name means pure or clean. That had to be so irritating. So irritating. Can you imagine him coming to shake you down? You're like, here comes pure clean. Like the name isn't adding up with the character. It's actually like an IRS agent comes and knocks on your door to collect taxes. But then it's like really a shakedown and they're taking more. And then as they're leaving, you notice their name tag says angel. You're like, excuse me, maybe Lucifer, but not angel. This isn't adding up. 
Zacchaeus, he had sold out to Rome and he'd become rich off the backs of others, off work he didn't do. And he knows this. He knows he's being sketchy because by the time we get to the end of the story and he's down the tree, he's like, anybody I've defrauded, like, oh, you think you may have defrauded some people? This is contrast number two we're presented with. Zacchaeus, he makes himself rich at the expense of others. But Jesus, he laid down his riches for others. The last thing you probably should know about this little guy, (laughs) I'm glad he's not in the room, is that he's a shorty. Like that's what scripture says about him. I think that's so great. It's so real. Can you imagine making it into a Bible story and you're like, yes, I have arrived. I'm in the Bible. And then you catch wind, hey, they're gonna make a song about you. And you're like, oh man. Cause we know father Abraham, he had many sons. And the Lord told Noah, there's gonna be a floody. Like we know these Sunday school songs. So I like just imagine Zacchaeus like gathering his friends and family for the launch. Like when the single drops, he's like, everybody, everybody, shh. And he hits play. And literally the first line of the song is Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And he's like, shut it off. (laughs) This is what we are told about him. He's a little guy, short in stature. This is, this is the thing though, it was for such a time as this, right? Cause he would have crushed it at limbo. Like he would have been like, if there was a prize money pot, he'd have been playing limbo, like blowing all these adults out of the water. He'd be like, for such a time as this, as he like counts his money, right? Last thing I promise. Okay, so if he was alive today and I had to make a dating profile for him, <laughs> sharp right turn. If he was, I, literally, cause you have to be honest, right? So you can't be like, I'm a shorty. Like you can't put that on your dating profile. I'd be like, put opposite of a giant. Eh? You're welcome. Which also is a contrast, but I'm not gonna get into that one. You can get into it. He's the opposite of a giant. Okay, you get it, he was short. In all seriousness, this forces him to climb up in a tree to see Jesus. He truly was short for such a time as this. He wants to lay eyes on the Lord. This brings us to our uh, third contrast. And this one's good. If you're writing or taking notes, write down Genesis 3, 8 through 10. Zacchaeus climbs into a tree so that he can lay his eyes on the Lord. Can you think of anybody in scripture who used trees to hide from the Lord? Genesis 3, 8 through 10. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called out to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. What a beautiful change of circumstances. We start humanity out with Adam and Eve attempting to hide from the creator in creation. And as we see Jesus nearing the end of his life, he truly is living hope because someone who is, he should feel naked. He should feel shame. He climbs the tree. He uses creation in an attempt to get a glimpse at his living hope. This is probably my favorite revelation out of the scripture Um, it's contrast number four. It's what Jesus says to Zacchaeus when he meets him at the tree. I've never caught this before until I was studying for today. 
It's not very poetic, but he's standing at the base of the tree and he looks up at Zacchaeus and he says, Zacchaeus, come down now. And I'm like, so many words he could choose. Why did he choose come down at once? Come down now, come down quickly. Why was that what he chose to convey to Zacchaeus? If you want to write down Matthew 27, 39 through 42, this is our contrast number four and probably by far my favorite. This is what I mean when I say Luke was an incredible writer. Matthew 27, 39 through 42. Just brace yourselves. This is Jesus on the cross. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross. If you are the son of God, in the same way the chief priests and teachers of the law and the elders mocked him, he saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe him. The phrase come down is the exact same word that Jesus used to Zacchaeus to get out of the tree that was used to Jesus as he was hanging in the tree. Exact same word. And I just, I wonder, I'm like, when Jesus walks up to the tree, does he know what he's walking towards? Does he know this is his last trek to Jerusalem to be crucified? As he's staring at this man who deserves to be up in the tree. Is he thinking, hey, you come down. That's where, that's my position. That's my place. I'm suspicious. I think he knew. I think he knew. Here's why. There's more. But wait, there's more. I think he, I think he did know. Because this is what Jesus, according to Luke, tells the crowd one chapter before Zacchaeus' story. So we're in 19. This is what Luke says, Jesus says to a crowd in Luke 18. This is Luke 18, 10 through 14. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other, oh, look, he just happens to be a tax collector. Random. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, which are thieves, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Wait, he's worse than all three of those? I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get, but the tax collector, he stood at a distance and he wouldn't even look up to heaven, but he beat his chest and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I think Jesus is foretelling his encounter with Zacchaeus. And here's the thing. This is so wild. It blows my mind. I hope it blows your mind. I hope it encourages you to like read scripture and not just read scripture. Zacchaeus is guilty of taking things that don't belong to him. I've taught on this before. That makes him a thief. Jesus is getting ready to be crucified next to two what? I think he knew. And this is the thing. This is what Jesus said is so beautiful. (laughs) 
he says, Zacchaeus, or this random tax collector he's referring to, he knows. He knows. He doesn't need someone to tell him his sin. He feels it. He's convicted immediately. Zacchaeus literally comes down from the tree and he skips past confession. He's not like, I stole from this person and I did this and I did that. He's like, I'm going to make it right. I'm going to tell you how I'm going to make it right. And that is a heart of someone who has encountered the living God. When you don't even need, because you, you're so done with the sin. When you're not done with the sin, you hold it in. When you're not done with the sin, you do not confess it because you can continue to do it in secret. But when you're done with the sin, like, let's just get it out. I, I want accountability. I don't want to do this anymore. And that's the living hope standing before Zacchaeus. He's like, yep, I did it. Uh, here's what I'm going to do to make it right. I'm going to live in a manner worthy of the calling I am receiving right now. This is contrast number five. And we see this all throughout scripture. Zacchaeus chooses to be humble, but the crowd, they choose to grumble. You're welcome. (laughs) Zacchaeus, he chooses to stay humble and become humble, but the crowd chooses to grumble. What a heart. Luke also had something to say about this just a few chapters back. Jesus is telling another story. It's Luke 15, 1 through 7. Luke 15, 1 through 7. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them, which is exactly what he's getting ready to do with Zacchaeus, exactly what the crowd just said about him. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and he loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you in that same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents One person who humbles themselves, one person who isn't self-righteous, who recognizes the brokenness inside of them and doesn't want to do that anymore. More rejoicing in heaven over that person than over the 99 righteous people who did not need to repent. I think this is the entire reason Zacchaeus put this, I mean, Zacchaeus' story is in Luke's gospel. And he's only in Luke's gospel. I think this is the point Luke is trying to make. It's the good news. The good shepherd has gone out into the world to gather his lost sheep. It's exactly what we see Jesus doing. And this is what was prophesied through Ezekiel. This is Ezekiel 34, 11 through 16. <clears throat> For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself, so he had called leaders within Israel to take care of his sheep and they're not doing it. They're feeding and fattening themselves. And this is a rebuke that God gives Ezekiel to give the people. He's like, hey, you're not doing what I told you to do. You're not being good shepherds. So guess what? I myself will search for my sheep and I will look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they've been scattered on a day of cloud clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land. 
I will pasture them on mountain on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. This should sound familiar. Nathaniel kind of hit on it last week. Psalm 23. There they will lie, d- lie down in good grazing land. And there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. I think this is what what Luke is trying to say, that this is the good news of Jesus Christ. The shepherd has come to gather his sheep like he promised years and years and years prior. And you're like, well, Taylor, how can you be like 100% sure that this all goes together? The very last thing Luke records Jesus having said in the encounter with Zacchaeus, it's a red letters. Jesus says, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. And here's the thing. If Jesus was about, he's literally walking towards the cross. His time on earth in human form is almost, it's almost over. And we see him binding up the injured. He's going into the highways and the byways and he's gathering his people. This is the work he's doing up until death. And if Jesus is about the father's business and that's the father's business, like ought we also be doing that? Shouldn't that also be like our mission, our MO, to seek and save the lost? So that's my question for us this morning out of the story of Zacchaeus. What does it look like for us to continue the work of Jesus? And here, like, I'm gonna be super real. These aren't like celebrities. Zacchaeus was infamous. (laughs) No one liked him. Paul, when he came to salvation, they were afraid to let him in the door. They were like, are you like, is this like a prank? Are you gonna murder us? Literally. That's who we see scattered. So when we open our church doors, we're reading about this in James right now, actually. Do not show partiality. We don't know who God is wooing. We don't know when and where he's working all the time. Our job is to continue the Great Commission. So what does that look like? Like individually and then as a whole, what does it look like for us to go out and share the gospel? Scripture says, how can people believe if they never hear it? Like if no one is bold enough to share it, how are people supposed to ever like find faith to hear the good news. This is what I know beyond a shadow of a doubt for certain. I feel like I say this every time I teach, but first and foremost, the Bible is a book about God. God is using it to communicate something about himself to us, his character, how he relates to us, his immense love for us. He's communicating who he is through scripture first and foremost. So what is God saying through this passage in Luke? I believe it's this. God is a servant leader. He doesn't sit high and mighty in heaven and say, well, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. He has every right to, but that's not how he did it. He came low and he did everything he asks of us. Pray for those who persecute you, done. 
Love your neighbor unto death done. The difference between Jesus and all of these other gods that are presented to us in the world, the God of self, name like any of them, just pick one out of the air, is that Jesus came low and he did it for us. He set the example. He didn't just give the Great Commission, he lived the Great Commission. Boom, another rhyme. But genuinely, he doesn't just give the Great Commission, he, he lives it unto death. So that's the call today. I feel like that's the stir today. Like, share the gospel. It doesn't have to be weird. I have to make it weird. Maybe it will be. I don't know. Maybe it's supposed to be. But it doesn't have to be complicated. Jesus literally just met people where they were and he shared the good news. And guess what? Some responded and some didn't. He still shared. We have this thing on our website that we have put together. I, I, we haven't talked about it in a long time, if ever, from stage, but it's called the six, 60 Second Gospel. And it's honestly just like a synopsis of the good news. You don't have to memorize it. You don't have to use it, but it's a launching point if you've never shared the gospel. It's a starting place. But I also feel like I just, I need to encourage us today. Hey, if you're someone who's like, I have shared the gospel a hundred times over, like nothing has happened. I've seen no fruit from it. I just want to remind you, the weight of someone's salvation was never on your shoulders to begin with. And if you stop sharing the gospel, you're literally never going to reap a harvest. It doesn't have to be complicated. This is our, um, what we've, oh yeah, sweet. This is the 60 second gospel. You can find it. So if you go to the website and in the upper right hand corner, it's kc-church.com. In the upper right hand corner, there's a tab that says resources. If you click on that, you'll see 60 second gospel. You can print it from there. Here it is. Do you want to hear some good news? (laughs) Here we go. The God of the universe is who he says he is and he loves you. And we were made in his image, but separated by sin. Throughout history, mankind has tried and failed to make themselves right with God. So God became man to reconcile us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When we believe in Jesus and we confess we're sinful, then we receive the gift of salvation and the righteousness of Christ. This means that we will be united with God in everlasting life. The good news doesn't stop there. It's not just future facing, it's, it's now. We currently have access to fullness of life and an inheritance through the Holy Spirit right now. We get to partner with God the Father, Christ the Son, and Holy Spirit to see his power and his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. The plan the whole time. So this is it, guys, for this week, for your life. For your walk. What does it look like to go into your work? Sometimes into your church, into your doctor's office, into the grocery store, into our highways and byways, and continue the work that Jesus started of seeking and saving the lost. What does that look like? 